What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. And of course, if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. I'm just so glad you're with us today. I, I, you know, if you're newer to this whole substance thing, uh, my wife and I got this whole thing started way back in the day. And, and really, just to let you know that part of the reason why we planted this church is, is that my wife and I, we just kept meeting people that were open to God, yet they felt it incompatible with this church. You know what I'm saying? They're, they were actually open to the idea of being a Christ follower. They just don't know how to fit in with this like church thing. It's God's people that is the struggle. And actually, we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. And, and keep in mind, our, our goal here at Substance is not merely to get people to come to a church service and learn about God's word, although that's one part. Yes. Yes, we want people to know God, but to come learn about him. But we also have a deeper agenda here, and it's this. We want people to know God and find freedom. We want you to live at a whole nother level of freedom in your life, because freedom means joy. Freedom means you can run into the calling that God has for you. And I, I just really have this sense today that there's some of you, you're running with your shoelaces tied together. And don't get me wrong, you can kind of run a little fast you know, with your shoelaces tied together. I'm sure you've made do thus far, but I, I really believe that God wants you to have a full stride. He wants you to be completely free, and that means getting rid of some of those chains that might be a little embarrassing for some of us. And so we're gonna talk about how to find freedom on another level. And of course, you know, every single week, people come up to the staff here at Substance and they're carrying huge burdens all by themselves because they, they feel like they just don't know who they can share it with, right? They, they come up to me and they always feel like they're the only people on planet Earth who struggles with this. I'm clearly, I'm pastor, I have to be the only person in church who struggles with pornography. I'm, I, I have to be the only person in your church who struggled with alcohol. And, and people will come up, my marriage is falling apart, I've got debt problems, I've got eating disorders, I've got suicidal thoughts and I don't know what to do. Uh, listen, church, this is why we exist. This is why we are called to one another. This is why we do life together. This is what the church is all about. It's also why we're constantly trying to talk all of you into getting into small groups because in many ways, that's, there's a certain power that exists in the small group element of our church that doesn't necessarily exist in the, in the church service, okay? Now, don't get me wrong, church services are powerful, but we really believe that if you wanna have the full measure of Christ's power manifesting in your life, then you have to have the full power of fellowship, and, and that requires intimacy, that requires you get your good best friends, that requires getting involved here, and I, I you know, that's why we always say everything at substance is meant to be a slippery creek bank into authentic Christian fellowship. But let's be honest, living authentically, it sounds easier than it is, right? Because it actually requires that you and I take a lot of risks. I remember many, many years ago before I was in full-time ministry, uh, I had, I was a Christian, I, I was a new believer, and I'm trying to deal with all of this this stuff in my soul, right? I mean, I, I'm trying to live out the, the Christian walk, and yet, you know, like any given person, the world is just constantly accosting me with temptation, right? I had this one, um, I had this one girl coworker who would just constantly flirt with me, after, and this is after I had gotten married, before I was in ministry, but after I was married, 
And um, this girl would, would flirt with me, and if I could be totally honest with you, if I could be a little vulnerable with you, I kind of enjoyed the attention. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of nice to know somebody seems to like me. And of course, I didn't ever, you know, toss fuel cans on that fire. I never crossed any boundaries, but it, it kind of disturbed me that I enjoyed it, and I kind of felt tempted like flirting back. You know what I'm saying? Just being fully honest. I noticed that. Well, immediately when I noticed that in my soul, I, I, I happened to have a Christian friend who worked at the same place. And so one day I I pulled him aside and I was like, dude, hey, I I just wanted to confess this to you. I've almost felt this, this like undercurrent of attraction here. And I just, I can't afford that, obviously. I'm married. And so from here on out, I just, I could use your accountability because you're here with me. Um, I, I want you to know from here, all, from here on out, it's going to be all business-like with her. I'm, I'm just going to talk to her like a robot, and I want you guys to, to hold me accountable. And he was like, all right, all right. I'll, he's like, Peter, I'll do it, but, um, you know, I, I, I think this could be a, a symptom of a deeper need in your marriage that God wants to meet, a new level that he wants to take you to. And, and, and so, you know, I, after I talked to my Christian friend, I, I went home and I actually talked to my wife about it. I, I told her, hey, you know what? I, I've noticed that my love tank might be a little, uh, running a little dry. Of course, I didn't use that expression because I didn't have that expression in those days and probably was way more macho about how I said it. But I, I just, you know, my love tank, you know, like I, I didn't say it like that but because uh, I didn't believe in love languages yet um, in those days. But I, I you know, I... I and of course, I wasn't confronting my wife at all. It was actually just me being vulnerable in front of her. And in church, I got to be honest with you, though, okay, both of those conversations were pretty dang scary for me, okay? I, I just, I mean, part of me even thought, is this level of authenticity even smart? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like what if my Christian friend all of a sudden freaks out at me like, dude, what the heck is wrong with you? Of course that's wrong, what do you do? You know, like I, I was worried about how he would respond. And then, and then I thought, well, gosh, if I get honest with my wife about this, if I, if I kind of let her into this moment in my life, will, will she freak out? Will she get insecure? You know, like, in other words, will she become my confidant, my ally? Or will all of a sudden this result in some ongoing tension that we have to resolve? You know what I mean? And yet, and yet I kept thinking in my head, like, on the other hand, it's certainly not going to get any better by me just kind of, you know, living in silence, lying to everyone about what's going on in my heart. You know what I'm saying? Because how many of you know, when you bring temptations into the light, they tend to lose their power. That's what happens. That's why God doesn't call us to be Christians. He calls us to be children of the light. He wants us to get it into the light. And of course, you know, you've got to be wise about how you do that. But I, I, I did that with both my Christian friend and my wife. And guess what? You want to know what actually happened? That's ex- like I, I started experiencing power in my life on a whole nother level. In fact, almost immediately after I got vulnerable, everything started getting better. Okay, my marriage went to a whole new level. The power of fellowship in my life started to skyrocket. And in some ways, really what was happening was is I was living out the classic Bible verse. And if you haven't memorized this yet, you need to. James 5, 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then it unpacks it at one more step. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, what's interesting about that Bible verse is that biblical healing is preceded by what? 
confession of sin to each other. Not to God in the slow song. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you can confess things to God. That's great. But you know what? God's word, God called you to confess it to another human being. To find a righteous person you could be vulnerable with, share it with them. That's how biblical healing actually takes place in our lives. And I, I wonder how many people lack biblical healing. They lack traction in that one area of temptation simply because they're, they're always trying to confess it to God in the slow moment of worship, but they're never actually doing what the Bible says to achieve healing, getting righteous people surrounding you, holding you accountable, and cheering you on, praying for you. You see, I, now, now notice that the Bible verse says righteous people. The prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. I wouldn't just go confess to just anyone. In fact, there's actually a lot of people you should, there's a lot of Christians you should not confess your sin to, okay? So I, I, if you get vulnerable with unhealthy people, not only will they not help you, some people will even exploit you, right? A, a self-righteous person will use it to gain leverage over you or to feel better about themselves. Or a, a, a person who's unrighteous, they're just gonna use it to recruit you into being their sin buddy. You know what I'm saying? It's not gonna help you, right? There's Christians that will make you feel comfortable about your sin. That's not what biblical fellowship does, right? Iron sharpens iron is what, what the biblical fellowship should feel like, okay? So there's gonna be a little friction. And, and here's the deal. In my situation, there wasn't even a sin committed. It was merely temptation. And yet, you know what? Even though it was just a temptation, there was still a threshold a, thresh, a, a step I needed to take of scary authenticity in order to get that level of freedom, that power kicking in my life. And that, my friends, is what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about how you and I can overcome the threshold of scary. How do we overcome that fear of fellowship, that fear of authenticity? How do we get over the discomfort of, like I, like, I don't know about you, I have social anxiety, and so just, you know, showing up to random small groups can sometimes be a little, you know, terrifying, you know what I'm saying? But how do you get over that? How do you, how do you keep getting into the, over the threshold of scary, down that slippery creek bank, so to speak, into freedom and healing? Because ultimately, that's the feeling you want to have. But sometimes the way you get there is through discomfort. And so uh, to explain this, to get there, I, I, many of you guys know a few years back, uh, I, I made a, a mini film on skateboarding with our very own Pastor Brian Koch. I don't know if you remember that. It was, you know, four years ago, five years ago. At the time, Brian was an assistant campus pastor, but of course now he's our Westside campus pastor. And... Uh, and of course, it's kind of an exciting week for our West Side campus, you know, as, as we were unable to rent that facility this week. But, uh, you know, this mini film is kind of the perfect setup for this discussion uh, for where we're actually about to go today. And so with all that said, sit back and check this out. by teaching you a quick lesson on skateboarding. 
And I know you're thinking, why skateboarding? Well, honestly, dropping into true authentic fellowship is very similar to dropping in on a half-pipe ramp. And so I want to show you a quick lesson on how to drop in on a half-pipe. Many of you guys know I grew up obsessed with freestyle BMX. In fact, this wasn't just a hobby for me. It was an all-out obsession for me. In fact, my dad and I actually built a 40-foot half-pipe ramp in my backyard. And I had skateboarders and freestyle BMXers and inline skaters over at my house constantly. It was like every single day I had my own little personal skate park. In fact, I would ride my bike for four hours a day, even in the winter time. Of course, that had a totally irritated my parents because I would ride my freestyle BMXer in their basement, completely wrecked our carpet. Sorry, Mom and Dad, that was my bad. Um, but, you know, I, I was so into this because it was, it was not just my hobby, it was my lifestyle. In fact, by the time I was in 10th grade, I already started competing in my first freestyle BMX contest. I went to Green Bay and I won first place in flatland freestyle. And I know it wasn't a big national contest, but I'll, I'll tell you what, for me, I was hooked. And if you're out there and you're wondering, you know, is skateboarding and freestyle BMX dangerous? The answer is yes. In fact, I have endless fail videos of me as a 16-year-old just belly flopping on my bike, and I thought, just for fun, you know what? You want to see some of them? Well, here they are. This is a, a few videos of me and my good friend Scott when we were 16 years old just wiping out on our bikes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Somebody else do it, but when you stand at the top of that ramp, 
somehow fear just overtakes you. And we had guys that would stand up there sometimes two to three hours just overcome with fear. And so one of the things that I had to do is I had to learn how to persuade people how to drop in on a half pipe ramp. Some of you were like, how did you ever get good at persuading people to do things? I just learned how to skateboard, right? Um, but over time, I had to be an expert at teaching people how to confront their fears. And so for fun, I thought, you know what, why don't we do that today? In fact, today, I will teach Substance's very own assistant campus pastor, Brian Koch, how to drop in on a ramp. And we are going to have some fun with this. Exactly. <laughs> you put your foot here, okay? And all you gotta do is take a big. 
watch. Okay? Here, I'm coming back. Put your foot right here. And then you go. It's really simple. Does it matter if I'm on a seam like that? No, it doesn't matter. You'll be fine. small group of skaters anymore, do we? thinking back when we filmed it, there, there were a bunch of skate park kids who were watching us film this whole thing, and they, one time, in one of them, I fell really hard, and they saw me fall, and they were like, oh, dude, are you okay? And, and of course, I, I started brushing off all the dirt, and I'm like, yeah, I thought this was clever. My, <laughs> my mind wrote a check my body couldn't cash. <laughs> and they all looked at me confused, and they go, what's a check? That's when I knew it was time to retire. My career is officially over, everybody. No, for real though, like we, we, we've had, we even have groups, we've had small groups in the past uh, that do skateboarding here at Substance, but I, I just, I love it because you know, dropping into freedom, dropping into authentic fellowship is a lot like skateboarding when you're standing on the top of that ramp, you know, looking down, it's scary. What are the implications? What if, what if I, I get vulnerable with people and they reject me? What if I get vulnerable and they, they, um, 
they condemn me. What if, what if, you know what I mean? Like I, I, there's risks, there's vulnerability. I mean, for some of us, it might mean visiting six different groups before we find our tribe, you know what I mean? And it might also mean filing off some of our, our personality quirks that some of us maybe aren't willing to, to really file down. I mean, and, and can fellowship be dangerous? Absolutely, there's a lot of Christians. I would never confess my sin to you. There's a lot of Christians who will suck the life out of you faster than watching the news. I'm just saying, and yet, as surely as I know the Lord, he will always provide the right friends that will enable us to seek him. And I really believe that many of you, you need to pray for new best friends. Some of you, you may have had it at one point in your life, but you need to reinvest. In fact, actually, every two years, my wife, have to, my wife and I, we have to reevaluate our fellowship and reinvest in it. Why? Because relationships are always changing. They're always evolving. What worked for you in one season when you were a single is now different once you're married. It's different once you're married with a kid. It's different once, again, every new season of life, you wanna have people who are in that same season or a step ahead of you. And so I, I really believe that it's important to pray for fellowship and reinvest in fellowship every couple of years. But here's, here's where it gets complicated, okay? And I, I'm gonna give you where it gets complicated complicated, and I'm also going to give you the solution, okay? Uh, the more intimate we get with people, guess what it does? It holds a mirror up to us. It holds a mirror up to our deepest spiritual flaws, and sometimes looking in the mirror ain't too flattering. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever, like, gotten really close to one of those, like, really close-up mirrors, and all of a sudden you see hairs growing out of the tip of your nose and your ear, and you're like, what the heck? Where did that even come from? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the heck? Or have you ever just like all of a sudden you walked into the bathroom and then you saw your fly was down and you got a booger hanging out of your nose and you're like, why didn't somebody tell me? You know what I mean? You just ate through, you just sat at the restaurant for an hour with a giant thing in your teeth and you're like, like, come on, people. Like, you know, again, it's embarrassing. Sometimes, you know, you, you hang out with your Christian friends long enough, guess what? They're gonna be like, wow, you got some really unhealthy habits. And when they start calling them out, a lot of us were tempted to make one of these two mistakes. And I want you just to listen close and just see which of these is your default. I think most of us will do one of these two things as a default. The first thing that happens once the, you know, once the friction of fellowship starts to occur, once we start taking a good look in that mirror, what we do is we press the eject button. In other words, we switch churches, we switch friends, we switch jobs, we switch locations so that we can embrace anonymity again, so that we can kind of live the isolated Christian life, right? When the friction of fellowship starts heating up, you know, and when you're like, ah, it's getting a little too hot for me. I think a lot of people leave churches not because they're dysfunctional. Yeah, some of them are, but I think a lot of people leave church not because it's dysfunctional, but precisely because it's healthy. And that intimacy all of a sudden held a mirror to some personality quirks and some things that they just aren't willing to deal with yet. And so instead of embracing a healing process, a lot of people uproot themselves and embrace a holding pattern. Listen, embracing holding patterns over healing processes is not what you want. Sometimes the painful way, the, sh the, the painful path is, the, is ultimately the shortest path, right? It's the best path. But the other thing that people do when they're starting to cross that threshold of scary, instead of pressing the eject button, what they do is they, they, they do what I like to call embrace the shallow Christian life. 
In other words, I'm just gonna not be vulnerable. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna really ever share anything real about my life. There's, there's a lot of, I'm always telling pastors, hey, listen, um, people are blessed by your success. They're impressed with their success, but they connect with your pain. That, that was taught to me by Craig Rochelle. There's something about being vulnerable that actually gives people permission to also be vulnerable. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches who are the exact opposite of vulnerable. They, they're not really helping people heal. It's just nothing more than an event. Like, so that's why we always say, hey, church doesn't start until the service is over. It's not it's because we're trying to define church as beyond the church service. It's about fellowship. It's about authentic Christian friendship. It's about confession of sin. It's about getting people up into the armpits of our lives, even though they might smell, and then getting the help we need in order to get the fragrance of God on us. And that's ultimately something that I really want to be a part of substances. I, I want this to be a place where people can be real, where there's no perfect people allowed, okay? Now that doesn't mean we're all just gonna you know, condone everyone's sin. It ultimately means, because we won't always agree with each other, and actually none of us have a Godward orientation. All of us have desires that go outside of the scripture, and that's why we need fellowship in the spirit of God, the life-giving joy of God, to all of a sudden be that kind of friction to file us down. So, but, but, but for a lot of people, again, they either press the eject button or they just kind of go invulnerable. They embrace the shallow Christian life. And, and over time, the consequence of that is all of a sudden Christianity starts feeling powerless. It, it feels like, man, it just doesn't feel like my prayers are being answered. It just doesn't feel like I see miracles. Well, partly because what you're doing is participating in powerless Christianity. Remember James 5.16? You want healing? You want effective prayers? Well, guess what? It comes through confession alongside righteous other people that can get into that area of your life and walk you through to deliverance. And I know that sometimes when we've been hurt by people, it can, it can be very counterintuitive to begin trusting people again. But at some point, we do have to ask the question, who are the spiritual people in our lives, the trustworthy people in our lives who are a step ahead that I could be vulnerable and authentic with? And it, it may take a while to find them, but I really do believe that seek and ye will find, Matthew 7 says. And so with all that said today, what I want to do is I just want to end by telling you one final story about a young man in our church who figured out how to navigate the threshold of scary. Years ago, um, there was a young man who started coming to substance at the time. He was not really a, a, a he, he would not have considered himself to be a, a real believer. In fact, he was a huge party guy throughout college. And uh, in fact, the only reason why he started coming to Substance was because uh, he got in a huge fight with his wife and things got bad enough that she insisted that they go to church. Okay, so you can kind of imagine, you can picture this situation. What's funny was is that she didn't even go to church herself, but both of them were so desperate after this fight, so they said, well, why not church, right? So, and of course, she happened to be, uh, she happened to be, uh, have this one bridesmaid who happened to go to this church with a really weird name called Substance, right? And this friend invited her to come to one of our campuses at the time we were meeting at the University of Northwestern. And of course, you know, so the young man came very reluctantly to Substance. Okay, this was not his idea. And keep in mind, he had never been to a contemporary worship church at this point, so the idea of like an electric guitar in church was just like almost a little overwhelming. But, you know, he came, and of course, you know, the people seemed nice, and 
you know, obviously he wanted to keep his marriage, right? So he's, you know, he kept coming to substance week after week after week. Well, you know, fast forward, even still, he was not about to get involved, okay? In fact, uh, he, he would even say he was the first person to leave after the service. You know what I'm saying? Just the moment the service is done, actually, if you leave really quick, a couple minutes before the last song, you can get out of the parking lot faster. You know what I'm saying? And, and so he was kind of that guy. And uh, so ne- neither him nor his wife actually knew anyone in the church, and frankly, he was fine with that. Well, fast forward a bit, not long after all of this, they, that they were coming, this same young man happened to shatter his leg in a, in a beer-drinking softball league, and uh, the fracture was, was so bad that he was laid up in bed for the better half of two months, okay? So this was a pretty bad fracture, and uh, naturally, it led him kind of into a, a, a turning point. It, it, he was depressed. He couldn't work. He couldn't even get up. Heck, he couldn't even bathe himself. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it, it's hard, you know, when you start to realize how fragile life is, right? And yet, in the midst of this dark season, he still managed to figure out a way to get out of bed and make it back to substance at least once a week. And, you know, even though it was really hard for him. So, of course, there was one Sunday he was leaning up against a wall with his crutches, right? So, because his leg is still shattered and healing. And, and as he's standing up against the wall, all of a sudden there was this precocious eight-year-old named Ethan who ran up to him. And he looked at his crutches and he looked at his leg and, and he says, wow, it kind of looks like you could use some prayer for your leg. Could I, could I pray? <laughs> you know, and it's just, I mean, come on, it's an eight-year-old. It, it obviously caught, you know, this guy off guard a little bit, and yet he's not going to tell this eight-year-old, no, beat it, kid. You know what I'm saying? Get out of here. Um, besides, he was actually scheduled for an x-ray the very next day, so why not? And so, you know, the kid, this eight-year-old just said, God, heal his leg. And that was it, then he ran off, right? <laughs> not, not a very deep prayer, but a very simple prayer, a child-hearted prayer, I love it, right? Well, so keep in mind, um, this guy had at least six months longer to go with this, this brace and with bone growing before his leg uh, would finally be whole. So this is gonna be a long process even after that prayer. And yet when the doctor saw the x-ray the very next day, he was shocked. I mean, the doctor, you know, finally sat down and actually said, never in all my years have I ever seen a bone grow this quickly. I mean, this is really incredible. I mean, like I I would even say, (laughs) you're healed. And of course, you know, this young man drove home from that doctor appointment now thinking, all of a sudden he's thinking, did God just supernaturally heal my leg and did God just use an eight-year-old at substance to do it? You know what I'm saying? He's just like, he's all up in his head, like suddenly thinking, maybe this whole Christianity thing is real, maybe it's powerful. And, and finally, all of these experiences moved him enough to the point where he thought, you know what? There's gotta be more to this God thing than I'm currently experiencing. I need to get into the deeper water. I need to get into some fellowship. I need to start letting God into more areas of my life. And not, after, not long after that, he gave his life to Christ in one of our services and got deeply involved in our church. Come on, somebody. Isn't that an awesome story? Isn't that awesome? Now, uh, the reason why I'm telling you this story about this young party guy who came to our church is because many of you, you already know this person because it's actually the story of Pastor Brian Koch, the guy who was in the skateboarding video with me, our West Side Campus pastor. Pastor Brian, could you come on up here real quick? Can we give it up for this guy? I love it, man. I love it. You're such a good sport. You're such a good sport. I, I, isn't that... 
Don't you love his story? I, I love, I, you know, in some ways, Brian, you're kind of the classic substance story where, you know, you were about as far away from the church as they come, you know what I'm saying, for, for the most part, and yet now you're a campus pastor. I love that at our West Side location. Come on, you, now you got a seminary degree. I mean, you've really kind of walked this out over the years. I mean, and, and so clearly, you've learned something about the threshold of scary. So like, you know, just as you look back on this whole long journey that God has taken you through at Substance, like what advice would you maybe give a person who's kind of like you? You know what I'm saying? Because you know there's people just like you. What would you say? Yeah, well, first off, I mean, I think we all need a pastor that's gonna have us do fun things and bring us to escape our See, amen. We're lucky here, but no, in all honesty, looking at my journey, there might be somebody here that is like I was, and you would hear you say, like, spiritual growth happens by having close intimacy with, uh, with Christian friends and mm -hmm. being involved in weekly ministry. And you're like, well, growth into what? Like, am I ready for growth? And you start asking that question. You start thinking, well, what's the next step? What's the step after that? And then you become so fixated, at least I was so fixated, on the steps that are down the road mm. that I would tell myself that I didn't have to take a step now. Mm. And I, I was so often was putting things off of like, well, what happens if I go to a small group and then they actually make me pray out loud? Like, I don't know how to pray by myself, let alone in front of other people. Or what happens if I have to break up with a small group? Like, I, I don't know. It happens. It happens. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> it's not your schedule. It's my schedule. Things that are what ifs or down the road. Yeah. I'm gonna prevent myself from taking any step of action here. I think if I could give any advice to anyone here that's sitting, is that the step that feels massive to you right now is actually a lot smaller than you realize. Mm. I have found that real growth happens when you just consistently take small steps. Mm -hmm. So join the team, fill out the connection card, attend a small group. Because it is going to lead to growth in your life. I have seen how God has provided in my, it has changed my family's life. It has changed my life mm -hmm. just taking a small step. And I joined a greeter team because I thought I was a decent handshaker. Like I was in the business world. <laughs> you are. They teach you how to shake hands properly. And then you join a substance greeter team and like they don't shake hands. We high five. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I joined that team well before I even read my Bible, before I knew how to pray. Wow. And that's where I met my first person who actually was so joyful about being in church and taught me that it could be different. And I would just say there are people on a team, in group, that are going to change your life. Mm, that's good. It's good. Okay, so then, so then, Brian, like, what are practical things, though, that people can do? Like, what are just, like, we always talk about next steps here. What are some of those next steps for some people? Absolutely. Immediately after the service, seven-minute partner, our pastors and team, want, they want to connect with you. And that can feel like dropping it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to talk about what I say. I don't want to talk to them. What are they going to make me do? You would just come stay high It's seven minutes. We're going to have a great time. Just get to know your name. We now, is it exactly seven minutes, or is we, it? We put a clock on. We put a clock on, for sure. Uh, some of us may be eight, nine minutes, because we've long-winded. Oh, man. Minutes, for sure. Mm. We want to know your name. Join a team. Fill out a connection card. It, it, there is, it, it's a small step, but it is going to change something. Come on. Come on. 
Listen, I, I'm just telling you, I, I really believe that there's a lot of you out there who you relate to the story of Brian, and, and I'm just saying there's so much in you that needs to come out, and so I just wanna encourage you, take that next step. For some of you, it might even just be give your life to Christ, like officially, formally. Just say, you know what, I'm gonna put a, a line in the sand, I'm gonna make that decision. Others of you, you're gonna actually take it the next step, seven-minute party. Others of you, you're gonna come to one of our newcomers' events. Others of you, you're gonna go through the growth track. You're gonna get involved in a small group. That's why we have so many small groups, and listen, it is a little bit trial and error, but you know what? Eventually you're gonna find your people and those are the most fun places to be when you've got multiple dynamic Christian friends that not only you relate to, but your, your, your spouse relates to or your future spouse is there, or you know what I'm saying? Like I'm just telling you, you, you once you slide down that Slippery Creek bank, there's no other way to live life. Come on, give it up for Pastor Brian. And so here's the deal, church. You know, we always say here at Substance, we, there's four steps we want everybody to take. We want you to know God, we want you to find freedom, we want you to discover your purpose, and we want you to make a difference. And I, I think a lot of times people get stuck in between maybe step one and step two. They, they feel like they're getting to know God, but they're not finding freedom. They don't, or, or maybe you're here and you have so much depth in you, but you're not helping to you know, uh, discover your purpose or helping others make a difference. Listen. Don't get stuck in one of those steps. I want you to continue to just to take that little next step and I, I just really believe that God is gonna meet you here and maybe for you that's actually giving your life to Christ. I just wanna end on a really, really simple note today and I, I, just, I just sense that God is saying, hey, I want to carry your burdens. I wanna break your chains. I wanna set you free so you can run. And some of you, you've just, you've almost, You've almost so adapted to your chains that, that you've just said, this is the way it's always gonna be. I'm always gonna feel like this. I'm always gonna look like this. I'm always gonna have this issue. And God's saying, oh no, loved ones, I wanna make you into a new creation. Would you let me? Would you let me? And if that's you, I just want you to take whatever little bit of faith you got and just place it into the hands of God. And I want you just to, 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 to pray this prayer with me. Would you, would you just repeat this after me? Say this, say, dear Jesus, Break my chains and forgive my sins that I might know you, that I might make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, just say amen. Jesus, you see everybody in this room. You see everybody watching this teaching. And I just pray that you would take them to places they could not go on their own. I pray that you'd give them joy. I pray that you'd give them peace. I pray that you'd give them the right friends who would enable them to go where they could not go on our own. And we pray that for all of us right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up here and tell us where we're going to go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.